0: Uh, Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. What an incredible privilege it is to be back with you uh, today. I think part of the reason I'm back with you today is to make you appreciate your new pastor even more when you hear him preach next Sunday. uh, Because, yeah, because of the, yeah, amen, amen. So I'm going to dial it down quite a bit today. I don't want you to kind of keep the expectations low, will you? Uh, I think the last time I was here a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you that I'm thrilled that Jonathan's coming to be your pastor. Uh, I, can't, I can't imagine a better man for you guys. Uh, I would encourage you, uh, as Jonathan and his family get on the field, that you continue to love them and you communicate that love to them. I would encourage you to always show him grace, because although he's a good man, he's not perfect and he needs grace. I would encourage you to walk alongside of him because being a pastor can be pretty lonely business, and I would encourage you to follow him, because part of his responsibility is to lead the church. But I have great hopes for your days ahead. In fact, I am quite convinced that your best days are ahead of you, not behind you. They're coming, and they're going to be here quicker than you think. And I, I will always, always think fondly of you. Uh, there is a piece of my heart that will be left at First Baptist Eden. Uh, because of the great friends and brothers and sisters that I uh, have had the privilege of knowing here and worshiping with. What a, what a great church and what a great opportunity for Jonathan, and what an incredible privilege for me to be able to speak to you today. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. going to spend some time there this morning. As you look for 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 15, I, I uh, would just simply say to you that we live in unprecedented change. In fact, never before have we seen so much change happen so fast, and the reality is it's happening in every area of life. Now some of that change that's happening is good and it's beneficial to many, some of it's bad and detrimental to all, and sometimes that change is coming at us so fast, we're not sure if it's good or bad. And the reality is that all of this has created some unsettled times. Do you feel that? Do you feel the unsettledness of the days that we live in? So I think most people have some notion that something big, something unparalleled is about to happen. And since the cyclical theory of history suggests that something cataclysmic happens about every 2,000 years, we may be, in fact, due for one of those events. So we hold our babies a little closer some of us hold our grandbabies a little closer we watch we wonder and sometimes we worry because we're not sure what to do so this morning i want to take you to this passage of scripture that i think will help us know what we should do in the midst of everything that's going around us all the time first corinthians chapter 15. We're going to focus on verse 58. Let's pray together and then I'll read this verse to you. Father God, we are grateful for today. Grateful Father for your love for us, for uh, the grace that you show us because truly it is amazing. God, we thank you for your mercy, for your great love for us. We thank you Father for your eternal presence in our lives and around us. We thank you, Father, that by Jesus we can be saved and live that sanctified life, even as we prepared for the glorified existence in eternity. Father, I thank you that you care about us. Your word tells us that, that we can cast our cares upon you because you do care for us. God, I'm thankful today that there's nothing too big or so crazy or, or so unexpected that it's caught you off guard or unable to respond. And I thank you for this church, for her testimony in this community for the decades that she has existed. I pray for her days ahead. Father, I know that you have great plans for this church and you're bringing a good man to lead her. God, make it a good marriage and and just, Father, be in the midst of it so that incredible things happen. So incredible that the church can't take credit for it and Jonathan can't take credit for it, Father, but you alone deserve the glory and the credit for what you're going to do through the ministry of this church. Father, as we have these remaining moments to think about your scripture and to dig into your word, I pray that you help us, you remind us that it's infallible, it's inerrant, it is perfect, it it, it is preserved for us just the way you want it on this day. We give you praise for it. In the blessed name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. And all the Lord's people said, First. Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. I'm going to encourage you to keep your Bible open this morning because I'm going to be referring back to some things that I want you to see and maybe have an opportunity to make some notes on the margin of your Bible. But notice, notice what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's do that again. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now notice the very first word in verse 58 is that word therefore. And one of the things that we know about studying the Bible is that when we come across the word therefore in the New Testament, we need to stop and ask ourselves what the word therefore is there for. Because the word therefore is always there for an important reason. And very often in the writings of Paul, that word, therefore, is a connector. I'll just put it that way. It connects the doctrine or the theology that Paul has just taught us with the practice that he wants us to engage in. It's as if he has given us the principles, and now he wants to give us the practice. Because at the end of the day, if all we do is know what the Bible says, then we have failed. Not only must we know it, but we must do it. Amen? Y'all can just chime in anytime you want to. We must know it, but we must do it. And so when we find the word therefore, typically what's happened is Paul has told us what we need to know, and he's about to tell us what we need to do. So if verse 58 is based upon what he has taught us, then maybe we should go back up to, say, verse 50 and see what it is that he has taught us as we prepare for what we are supposed to do. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Paul says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. "'Behold, I tell you a mystery. "'We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. "'In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, "'at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound "'and the dead will be raised imperishable, "'and we shall be changed.' For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death, the sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here in these verses, we see the promise of the resurrection. As I look at these verses, I also see what I believe to be the promise of the rapture. But regardless of what you see here, here's what we should be able to agree on based upon that set of verses that we just read. Are you ready? Here's what we should be able to agree on. This life is not all there is. In fact, this life is just a small part of what is. And hang on to that because there is a day coming. This scripture teaches us there is a day coming when we will be changed. Our mortality shall be changed for immortality. And by the way, when you use the word immortality there, it's really important to put the T in the word. Because if you don't, you end up with immorality. And that's a whole different sermon. So what I want you to see is that our mortality will be exchanged for immortality. Our corruption, the fact that our bodies are falling apart, amen, will be traded for incorruption. In other words, these earthly bodies that we inhabit today, as they continue to fall apart, one of the things that Paul reminds us is that there is a day coming when we will have perfect eternal bodies. Now, these promises that we just read are written to Christ's followers. They are the fulfillment of what it means to be saved. And understand this, that when you are saved, once you are saved, you are always saved. I'll give you another shot. Once we are saved, we're always saved. Amen. There you go. There you go. But that is not the end of our salvation. You see, the moment that we are saved, that brings salvation. From there, salvation becomes sanctification, and sanctification ends in glorification. And so what Paul is trying to get us to understand is that this life is not all there is. There's more coming, but our salvation, the gift of God, his salvation that he has given us through Jesus is completed, not on this earth, but once we get to eternity you may be wondering what happens to the folks that aren't christ followers well the reality is the bible has some promises for them as well that as that are as unalterable as those given to us christ followers but i want to tell you they could not be more different because the bible clearly plainly says that when a non-christ follower dies he will immediately find himself in hell and will spend the rest of forever in a place of fire torment and pain and darkness and total separation. And the only way for any of us to avoid that, the only way for you to avoid that, the only way for me to avoid that, the only way for anyone to avoid that is through Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. If none of what I said is true, then it doesn't matter how you live it doesn't matter what you do. If there, if there is no heaven and there is no hell, then friend, it doesn't matter what we do in this life. If there is no eternal judgment, then it doesn't matter how we live. If our existence ceases at the moment of our physical death, then there are no consequences of any lasting significance. But, uh, if there is something after this life, if there is indeed a heaven, if there is indeed a hell, if there is indeed a great victory in heaven and an eternal defeat in hell, then how you live and what you do with this life matters a lot. It matters. If the scripture is true, Your life matters. So that should bring us to the question is how then should you live? That's a great question. What should I do with this life that God has given me? That's a great question. Verse 58 is going to give us at least three things that we need to do with this life that God has given us. Here's the first thing. Do you see it? First, we are to be steadfast. This means that we are to be situated. We are to be settled. You know, we live in a world that is increasingly unsettled. Do you feel that in life? Do you you just kind of feel the tension and the the gnawing of that? Because we really do live in a time that is is unsettled. There, there, There are many reasons for that lack of settling. There are many reasons for this unsettledness. But let me give you one in particular. I think one of the reasons that life is so unsettling right now is because the culture that we live in has rejected the idea of absolute truth. Truth today is determined by experience and perspective. That means truth is constantly changing. What is right or wrong? What is good or bad? What is moral or immoral? Today is a moving target. We are back into the throes of the argument about Roe versus Wade. I know that you've been keeping up with that. What an incredible thing that we are—we are arguing about that and trying to determine when human life happens and when is it okay to abort a baby and just all this weirdness that's going on around us. We live in unsettled times. Russia is trying to take over the Ukraine of all things, and we live in unsettled times. We can't afford to put gasoline in our cars. We can't find formula for our babies. We live in unsettled times where things just continue to shift and change. but The Bible teaches there is absolute truth. That always has been and will always be the truth. In Psalm 119, verse 89, the Bible says, Your word is settled. John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus said about the Father, Your word is truth. And notice that Jesus didn't say that God's word is true, it says that God's word is truth. And if you don't have that little verse underlined in your Bible, you should find John chapter 17, verse 17, and get a mark on that because that's really important that God's Word is truth. Not that it's true, because if we were to say that God's Word is true, then we would have to say that there is some higher truth that proves God's Word is true. And listen, there is no higher truth than the truth of God. We determine what is true by comparing it to the truth of God's Word. So when the Bible talks about God's word is truth, when Jesus says, your word is truth, Jesus is elevating God's word to the ultimate truth. And we, again, will determine everything's truthfulness or falsehood by how it relates to and compares and lines up with the word of God. So the question is, what are you going to base your life on? What are you going to base your family on? Is it something that's always shifting and changing and morphing based upon the appetite of the culture at the moment? Or are you gonna base your life, your family on something that's settled and solid and secure? You See, we need to be steadfast. Remember your own high school coach told you to get your legs set, right? Get a good stand because you're gonna, you're gonna get hit. You need need a good stand. You need to get ready. You need to be steadfast. The second thing Paul says we need to do in this verse, not only do we need to be steadfast, but secondly, we are to be immovable. Interestingly enough, when you look at that word immovable in the original language, it has to do with our convictions. In other words, what the Bible is saying to us is that we need to believe in something so deeply that our beliefs will never change. There ought to be some convictions that we have, that regardless of what's going on around us, some convictions that we have, that regardless of the noise that we're living in, some convictions that we have, that regardless of how the world is shifting and changing and convulsing under us, that these convictions will never change. You would probably say, well, Joe, what are those convictions? And that would be an incredibly good question. I need to remind Jonathan that you guys ask really good questions. I should tell him that. So let me, give you, let me give you just a few convictions that I think all of us must hold to. If we're going to be immovable, if we're going to be steadfast, if we are going to be in a position to withstand the onslaught of the culture, here are just a few things maybe a handful of things that ought to be convictions for us. The first one is a conviction about creation over evolution. We need to have a conviction about creation over evolution. Listen, listen to me. I don't know if if you've ever thought about this or not, but, but if you can't believe the beginning of this book, then how in the world do you believe the rest of it? If the first thing out of my, uh, my mouth to you is a lie, that's going to color what you think about everything else I say to you. And if God starts his book with a lie, then we by rights can just ignore the rest of it or question the rest of it. But if you've read the beginning of the book, you know how all of this got here. Y'all help me out. You know how this got here. Amen? Amen. God created it all. There's no doubt about that. That that ought to be a conviction for us. And listen, a conviction about about the creation requires a conviction about the creator. Because you can't have a creation without having a creator. Right? All of this stuff just didn't blow up one day and there it is. No, God was at work. So you see, if we're going to be immovable, if we're going to have these convictions that become the root and the base and the foundation for our lives, then it's got to start with this conviction about creation over evolution. Here's a a second one. How are we doing on time? Oh, we got an hour. It's good. Here's the second one. There needs to be an, an immovable conviction about the virgin birth about the virgin birth. Why? Here's why. Because if Jesus were not born of a virgin, he cannot be our savior. If Mary were not a virgin young lady, when Jesus was born, he cannot be the savior of the world. Why? Because if she were not, then he was not born without sin. And if he is born in sin, then he is like us and he can't save the world. The reality, if he's born in sin like we're born in sin, he couldn't even save himself. You see, we've got to get back to the roots. We've got to get back to the foundation. And understand that there is a creation over evolution and that Jesus truly was born of the Virgin Mary. Here's a third one. Since y'all are enjoying these so much, I'll give you another one. The third conviction would be that Jesus bled and died on the cross for the sins of the world. That he bled and died on the cross for our sins. He said, Yo, what's the big deal about that? I'm going to say the same thing I said about the virgin birth. If Jesus did not bleed and die on the cross for the sins of the whole world, then we don't have a Savior. If Jesus did not bleed and die on the cross for the sins of the whole world, then he's not a Savior. You see, if he didn't die, then the penalty of our sin has not been paid because the wages of sin is death. And without the the, the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The Bible would teach us. Listen, if Jesus did not die on the cross, we are of all men most miserable because we're believing a lie. We're living a lie and there's no foundation in it, but understand... Understand, friend, that if the scripture is true, when it said that Jesus bled and died on the cross for the sins of the whole world, then that means he died for my sins. Yeah, makes me pretty special, doesn't it? Almost as special as you, because you know what? Jesus died for your sins. Y'all can amen that. I happen to be right. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Not you, I'm not going to go there. I'm having a bit of an argument with myself. He died for the sins of, we'll just leave it right there. He died for the sins of the whole world. Oh my dude, I want to chase that. Did y'all see that rabbit run by? Did y'all see that? It was a quick one, but I got him out of the corner of my eye. But I'm not going to chase him. Here we go. Here we go. A fourth one would have to be that God raised Jesus from the dead. You know why? Because if Jesus is still in the grave, we are still in our sins. If Jesus is still in the grave, we have no hope. If Jesus is still in the grave, then all of this is just a lie. If Jesus is still in the grave, listen, we we need to cut the lights out, turn the air conditioner off so we don't have to pay any more bills and go do something else. If Jesus is still in the grave, we are, uh, again, most miserable. There's no hope. There's no future. There's nothing to this if Jesus is still in the grave. But I come today with great news. (laughs) I come today with incredibly glorious news and that not only is the fact that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Not only did he live a perfect, holy, sinless life, not only did he die a horrible death on a Roman cross for our sin and, and because of our sin, not only was he buried, but on the third day, he came out of that tomb. Man, somebody ought to write a song with that line in there. You, can, you jumped on me about writing songs. Let me give you one back, John. There you go. Oh, wait, somebody may have already done it. This is a great song. God raised Jesus from the dead. We need that immovable conviction. All right. Let me give you a fifth one since you guys are so pleasant to receive these. Here's another one. There's only one way to God and ultimately one way to heaven. Now, this is not politically correct. Well, in fact, none of this is. But this one's not politically correct. We, we live in a, in, a, in a pluralistic world that, that if they believe there is a heaven, would say to you, there are multiple ways to get there. That's what the world's teaching today. You can follow after this, or you can follow after that, or you can do this, or you can do nothing, right? There are multiple ways to heaven if there is a heaven according to the culture that we live in. The problem with that, as much as that makes us want to smile and feel good about everybody, the problem with that is it's completely contrary to what the scripture would say. The Bible's quite clear that there's only one way to God. There's only one way to heaven. And by the way, that one way to God and that one way to heaven is Jesus himself. No man gets to the Father but by Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but by me. Amen, amen. Yeah, there's only one way. Only one way for you or me or anyone else to have any hope of heaven, and that's through Jesus. Here's the final immovable conviction, and all God's people said, yes, "Yes, they did, yes, they did. Here it is. A final conviction is that every human being is going to live forever somewhere. You know, as Christians, we often talk about our eternal life, and well, we should, but I'm going to tell you, everybody, Christ's follower or not, is going to live forever somewhere. Not a fairy tale, I'm telling you. It's truth. And our eternity hangs in the balance. The problem with these truths is that they they are completely contrary to what the world believes today. And those of us that hold to them are an increasing minority. And in the eyes of many, part of part of what's destroying their progressive view for, our, for our, our future. So what are we supposed to do? It's a great question. I was going to quit preaching, but somebody asked a question. I shouldn't leave it unanswered. So what, what are we supposed to do? Look, look at what verse 58 says. Be steadfast, right? Be immovable, yes. Here's the third one. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Can I give you Ligon's translation of that? Thank you. I will. I didn't think you'd ask. Let me give you Ligon's translation of always abounding in the work of the Lord. Write this down. Here it goes. Hit it like a wild man as hard as you can for as long as you can. Be a wild man. You think, oh, no, we can't be a wild man. We're Baptist. I know. That's part of the problem. Hit it like a wild man. Go at it as hard as you can for as long as you can. And if you don't like that translation, then think about it this way. Sell out. Go all in. So that when you fall across the finish line into eternity, did you notice the word I used? When you fall across the finish line you'll be out of breath and your cheeks will be flush with the effort when you fall across the finish line it's because you ain't got enough strength to take another step you've burned it all up for the gospel you've done everything you can do for the name of Jesus you have been everything that you can be for his church sell out go all in Leave it all on the field, the coach would say. Here's the deal. Friends, we, we need to make our mark. And for goodness sake, leave a hole when we're gone. When the Lord calls us home, people ought to miss the fact that we're not here. Y'all can amen that. And I know it sounds egotistical. I don't mean it to be egotistical. I mean it to be a challenge if we live our lives and then, and then, and, and then die and nobody notice or nobody know or nobody care, then we have wasted whatever years the Lord has given us. I think I found a sore spot. Are you hearing me? We need to give ourselves away to the point that there's absolutely nothing left. When I fall into the arms of my Savior, I want to be out of breath. Cheeks flush with the effort. And as Jesus gives me a noogie on the back of the head, I want to hear him say, well done, Joe. (laughs) Well done. Because I don't want to waste it. And I don't want to sit and wait. I want to be up, steadfast, immovable, hitting it like a wild man, until the Lord says, "Come on home, Joe, come on home. Listen, I don't know where you are in that journey. I don't know whether you've been saved or not. I don't know if you've ever given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ or not. I don't know if there's ever been that moment in time that you can say yes. I prayed and asked Jesus to save me, and he did. Listen, if there has not been that moment in your life, then today, right now, this moment needs to be that moment for you. You just need to set aside everything else that you carried in here this morning and just get real with God and get real with yourself and ask Jesus to save you for goodness sake. And if you've been saved and never baptized, you you ought to make a beeline for the front and tell Nick, hey, I need to get baptized. And if you've been saved and scripturally baptized and you had not joined the church, you ought to come today and tell Nick, I need to join the church. I need to get on the team. And if you've done all of that, then what about just making a commitment today to going all in, to being steadfast and immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord? Just making a strong commitment to Jesus thanking Him for all that He's done for you and committing to what you're going to do for the kingdom. And however many days the Lord has for you on this earth, you're going to use every one of them to its fullest. So when it comes time for you to get called home, you'll leave a hole. You'll leave a hole. You better your heads, close your eyes, will you? I think I've used up all but 30 seconds of my time. That's a good steward of time. Listen. If you need to come, you come right now. You don't have to wait for the music to start. You don't have to work for me or wait for me to say second. You just need to come. If you need to be saved, you need to come. If you need to be baptized. You need to come. If you need to join the church. You need to come. If you just need to come and pray, you come and pray for yourself, for your friends around you. Come pray for your new pastor, his family. Just come. We're gonna sing for just a moment or two, not much. You come, will you? Even now. Let's stand together as we.